I had already driven many kilometers of road under threatening skies, wondering whether I would find a clearing in the forest before nightfall, or at least before the storm hit. I had traveled all afternoon along spongy roads that led to labyrinths of quad trails and skidding roads, and then nothing more but clay ponds, beds of peat moss and walls of spruce, black fortresses growing ever thicker. The forest was going to close in around me without me laying hands on Ted, or Ed, or Edward Boychuk, whose first name changed, but whose last name remained the same, a sign that there was some truth in what I had heard about him, one of the last survivors of the Great Fires. I had set out with directions that seemed sufficient. At the end of the road that runs along the river, turn right, and keep going for about 15 kilometers to Perfection Lake, which is easy to spot with its jade-green waters. Glacier water from the Quaternary period. Shaped like a plate, perfectly round, that's where it gets its name. And after looking out over the jade plate, take a left at the rusted-out mine head frame. Keep going, straight, about 10 kilometers. Be sure not to take any of the crossroads or you'll end up on the old logging roads, and then you can't miss it. There is only the one road leading nowhere. If you look to the right, you'll see a stream that cascades into volcanic rock. That's where Boychuk has his cabin. But I might as well tell you, he doesn't like visitors. The river, the Jade Lake, the old head frame. I had followed all the directions but there was no cascading stream or cabin in sight, and I had come to the end of the road. Farther along, there was a fallow field, barely in good enough shape for a quad, and not something my pickup would want to cross. I was wondering whether I should backtrack or settle in for the night in the back of the truck when I saw smoke appear at the base of a hill and form a thin ribbon swaying gently above the trees. It was an invitation. Charlie's eyes, once they spotted me in the clearing surrounding his collection of cabins, gave off a warning. You don't set foot on his property without an invitation. His dog had announced me well before my arrival, and Charlie was waiting, standing in front of what must have been his living quarters, since that was where the smoke was rising from. He had an arm full of small logs, a sign that he was about to make his supper. He held the load against his chest throughout our exchange, which kept us outside a door he clearly had no intention of opening to me. It was a screen door. The other door, the main one, was opened inward to let the heat of the blaze escape. I couldn't make out anything inside the cabin. It was dark and chaotic, but the smell it gave off was familiar. It was the smell of woodsmen who have lived alone, steeping in the forest for years. Mostly it was the smell of unwashed bodies. I had never seen a shower or a bath in any of the living quarters of my old forest friends. It was the smell of burnt fat. They mainly ate fried meat, thick stews, and game that required a good dose of grease. The smell of dust fossilized in layers on anything that lay still and the stale smell of tobacco, their drug of choice. 
Anti-tobacco campaigns hadn't yet reached these men. Some still chewed their square of nicotine and religiously snuffed their Copenhagen. It's hard to understand how much tobacco meant to them. Charlie's cigarette roamed from one end of his mouth to the other, like a small, tame animal. And when it finished burning, it rested at the corner. He still hadn't said a word.